Tancred exists may be detected in 40 to 50% of patients undergoing intra-abdominal MR imaging for unrelated reasons. Some cysts have the potential for malignancy or malignant transformation. This is your host for Reach MDGI Insights, Dr. Peter Buck. Here to help us better understand pancreatic cysts is Dr. Rajiv Atam. Dr. Atam is a gastroenterologist at Kaiser Permanente down in California, whose special interest is evaluating pancreatic cysts. Welcome to the program, Dr. Atom. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a delight. Let's get right into it. Dr. Atom, what are some concerning features when we encounter a pancreatic cyst? Peter, as you've rightly said, with the wider use of CT and MRI, more and more patients are being diagnosed with pancreatic cyst. And the number you said, about 40 to 50% of patients who undergo MRI have a pancreatic cyst is uh, indeed correct. But remember, overall risk of malignancy in this incidentally detected pancreatic cyst is low. It is estimated the risk of malignancy in a pancreatic cyst at the time of diagnosis about 0.01%. It may be higher in cysts that are more than two centimeters in size, and the number there would be around 0.21%, but again, that's pretty low number. The risk of malignancy is higher with older age, in males, and in patients with present symptoms such as jaundice, weight loss, and recurrent pancreatitis. There are also some radiological features that are associated with increased risk of malignancies. These include cyst size of more than three centimeters, finding a solid component within the cyst, presence of a dilated main pancreatic duct, presence of enlarged upper abdominal lymph nodes on the CT scan or, or MRI, an increase in the cyst over a year by more than three millimeters in size. So these are all concerning features that should raise your concern for malignancy in a cyst. Thank you. Let's hone down on a couple of types. Could you please discuss main ductular papillary mucous neoplasms? Sure. So as per WHO classification, pancreatic cysts are broadly classified into four broad categories, you know, serous cyst adenomas, mucinous cyst adenomas, intraductal papillary mucinous cystoneoplasms or IPMNs, and a solid pseudopapillary cyst. IPMNs or intraductal papillary mucinous neoplasms are potentially malignant intraductal epithelial tumors of pancreas, and these are composed of mucin-producing columnar cells. They're very similar to what we see as in polyps and colon, so that's a good analogy to follow. So IPMNs have been classified as either main duct or branch duct based on the anatomic involvement of the pancreatic duct. Main duct IPN involves the main pancreatic duct while the branch duct involves the side branches. There's also a mixed duct type of IPN where both the main and the side branches are involved, but these patients tend to behave more like main duct IPMN. So main duct IPN, these patients present as diffuse or segmental dilatation of the pancreatic duct without obvious downstream stricture. There's expansion of mucin-producing ductal cells, which can be seen as papillary projections into the duct. And many times these patients present with mucin at the pancreatic orifice when ERCP or endoscopy is performed. The pancreatic orifice in such patients is usually patchless, and you could see mucin glob sitting right there. The majority of these main duct IPMNs arise in the head of the pancreas and progress distally towards the body and tail, 
and they can involve the side branches as in mixed duct IPMNs. The risk of cancer in these patients is pretty high. It's estimated to be about 70% in patients with main duct IPMN. As I said, you could use the analogy of colon polyps while describing pancreatic IPMN cysts. Even in the IPMN, the progression of benign neoplasm to invasive pancreatic cancer, it follows the adenoma carcinoma sequence as we see in the colon polyps. The branch duct IPMNs on the other side have a lower overall incidence of pancreatic cancer, which is estimated about 3% at five years and about 15% at 15 years after diagnosis. So let's move on to mucinous cystic neoplasms. And could you describe those, please? Sure. So IPMNs and mucinous cystic neoplasms are two mucinin-producing cystic neoplastic lesions of the pancreas. The MCNs or mucinous cystic neoplasms occur almost exclusively in women and are usually seen after the age of 40 years. They're more common in the body and tail of the pancreas. Unlike the branch duct IPMN, mucinous cystic neoplasms do not communicate with the main pancreatic duct. These mucin-producing cysts are lined by columnar epithelium, which is surrounded by ovarian stroma. Presence of ovarian stroma is pathognomic for MCNs. On cross-sectional imaging, mucinous cystic neoplasms classically appear as septated cystic lesion, although they can also be unilocular, meaning having one cyst. Sometimes calcifications can be seen on these cysts in about 15% of patients. So mucinous cystic neoplasms have a significant risk of developing cancer. And there are certain features that are associated with higher risk of malignant transformation in these cysts. And these features include larger size. Usually the cysts that are above five centimeters or larger have a higher risk of forming cancer. Cancer is very rare in cysts less than three centimeters in size. Presence of a thickened or irregular cyst wall is associated with higher risk of cancer. Presence of internal solid component within the cyst and presence of calcification to the cyst wall. These are all features associated with malignant transformation in these cysts. Due to the high risk of malignancy, heterosection is usually recommended in appropriate candidates. But again, remember, the risk of cancer is higher in larger cysts. The smaller cysts rarely have cancer, especially if they do not have solid components or mural nodules within the cyst. For those of you just joining us, this is your host, Dr. Peter Buck, discussing pancreatic cysts with Dr. Rajiv Atam. So, Dr. Atam, which patient should be entered into a cyst surveillance program? That's a great question, Dr. Buck. Cyst surveillance should be offered to patients with asymptomatic mucinous cystic neoplasms and IPMNs who are surgically fit and will likely pursue surgical resection if the need arises. Patients with benign inflammatory cysts such as pseudocyst and non-neoplastic cysts such as serous adenomas do not need surveillance. Patients who are surgically fit and have worrisome features such as solid components within the cyst or have a dilated main pancreatic duct should be referred for surgical evaluation rather than cyst surveillance. Before initiating cyst surveillance, it is imperative that the patient's risk of developing pancreatic cancer, the estimated life expectancy, and other health conditions are evaluated. It is also important to take consideration of the location of the pancreatic cyst. As you know, cysts in the body and tail of the pancreas are easier to resect with distal pancreatectomy as compared to cysts in the head and the uncinate process, 
which may require an extensive surgery like Ripple for removal of the cyst. How should we approach a pancreatic cyst that has concerning features, but yet the endoscopic ultrasound fine needle aspiration is negative for malignancy? Though highly specific cytology from pancreatic cyst fluid obtained with EUS FNA is only about 50 to 55%. So hence, this negative cyst fluid cytology does not exclude dysplastic or malignant pancreatic cyst. Patients with concerning features of malignancy should be referred to a multidisciplinary group for consideration of surgical resection. There are also some newer techniques that are now available to improve the sensitivity and diagnostic yield of EUS FNA to help guide surgical management. These newer techniques include uh, testing the cyst fluid for molecular uh, analysis and sampling with novel devices such as microbiopsy forceps and cytology brush, which can improve diagnostic yield. The microbiopsy forceps in a recent study showed a sensitivity of 82%, which is much higher than 55% of regular cyst fluid cytology. Also, confocal laser endomicroscopy has been used to help determine malignant cysts from benign cysts. Again, if the patient has concerning features and they're in good health and are candidate for surgery, then a referral to a multidisciplinary team for evaluation for resection should be made, even if the cytology on the EUSF is negative. Perfect. And that's a wonderful segue to our last question. How do we avoid unnecessary surgery? That's, again, a great question, Peter. I've seen many patients being referred to surgery when they do not need surgery for pancreatic cysts. And as per a recent review, about 14% of resections were performed for asymptomatic benign cysts, which are preoperatively suspected to be potentially pre-malignant cysts. So it is important to carefully select the patient and send only the patients who have high-risk features for surgery. Again, patients with IPM and NMCN should be evaluated with AUS FNA to establish the diagnosis and look for malignancy. We went over the features of malignancy, which include larger cyst size, presence of solid component within cyst, presence of main duct dilatation. These features, again, point towards higher risk, and these patients should be evaluated with EUS, FNA, and be sent to multidisciplinary team for evaluation. At the same time, the cysts that do not lead to cancer should not be sent for resection, and these patients should be easy to diagnose. Pseudocysts are benign and can be diagnosed by taking history and looking for features on cross-sectional images. And if there is still doubt, US FNA can be used to diagnose these patients and prevent unnecessary surgery. Cirrhosis also do not need a surgical resection because the risk of malignancy is exceedingly low in these patients. These patients need surgery only if they develop symptoms due to the space occupying size of the serous cyst. Asymptomatic mucinous cysts, such as uh, mucinous cystic neoplasms and IPMNs, without high-grade features, can be followed with cross-sectional imaging. And if these remain stable over size, they do not need surgical resection. Referral for US FNA and surgery should be made only when concerning features arise or if they develop symptoms such as neonset diabetes, jaundice, recurrent pancreatitis, or the CT scan or MRI start showing 
change in cyst size over a period of time, or labs show a higher CA19-9, etc. Otherwise, many of these patients can be followed with surveillance alone. Lastly, and most importantly, patients' health and overall health status needs to be considered when making these management decisions. Thank you so much. I want to reemphasize multidisciplinary team. That's all the time we have for today. Dr. Atom, I wanted to thank you so very much for educating us about pancreatic cysts. Thank you, Dr. Buck. It was a pleasure. I hope this will help our fellow clinicians in deciding which patients to be sent for surveillance and which patients should be sent for multidisciplinary evaluation for resection. Absolutely. I think so, too. For ReachMD, this is Dr. Peter Buck. To access this episode, as well as others from this series, visit reachmd.com slash GI Insights, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for joining us today. See you next time.